You may be seated. Good morning. Isn't it good to sing those songs and to hear one another's voice as we get to declare those truths? And I I think that's a really uh, important thing for us to do, especially as we come towards the passage that we're going to study today. If you've got a Bible, pull it out. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, looking at verses 23 to 27. And this passage is all about storms. I think we can all resonate with what it feels like to go through a storm. Maybe you've had an experience where you've been caught in sort of a scary storm out somewhere as you've gone hiking or biking or maybe been out on the water. Maybe you've gone through a storm that's not necessarily a natural storm, but we all know what it feels like to go through those other kind of storms. You know, the the financial challenging times, the, the times where we have some maybe relational tension with family, friends, co-workers. We've been through those emotionally trying periods. I think no matter who we are and to what degree or what frequency, we've all hit that moment at some point where we've just been like, whoa, like how do I deal with this? And this passage is going to be a particularly great one because I think it helps us to examine uh, the situation where uh, some others went into a storm, how Jesus dealt with that storm. And so hopefully as we go through this, we'll be able to mine out some principles and ideas that we can apply to ourselves. Because some of us, maybe even you this morning walked in Maybe you dragged yourself in going, how am I going to get through this next season? And you can apply it there. Or maybe you're facing that incoming storm. Maybe you know what that feels like to see sort of the weather blow in, whether it is a natural storm or something else, and you're just going, all right, it's time to sort of batten down the hatches and prepare for what's coming next. So let's see what happened in an instance where Jesus' disciples were sailing across the Sea of Galilee when they were confronted with quite the powerful storm. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to 27, read this. Then he, that's Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. So his disciples went to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus gets up and he replies, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he gets up, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men, that's Jesus' disciples, were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So where we're at at this point is that Jesus is kind of beginning the the front end of his ministry, of going around to different communities, uh, different people, different places, different people groups all together, and he's trying to share with them the hope that he brings, that the fullness one day of God's kingdom is going to come to earth and into their lives, and that will lead to human flourishing, not just for a moment, but for an eternity. And we see in this moment, he's traveling 
traveling from uh, the city of Capernaum, which is the top star up on that map, and he's going down to a region called the Decapolis, which is uh, a uh, sort of a multi-ethnic region, a bit of a different people group, and, and Jesus wants to travel there for a very specific purpose, which we'll study over the next few weeks, and, and so he's got to get there somehow, and so rather than going up and around, you can see on the map, it might be faster to take a boat across. And fortunately for Jesus, some of his closest followers are a group of commercial fishermen, and they have access to vessels and transport. And so they say, hey, let's hop in a boat and let's head across the water to, to get over to this place that I want to go. And it's a pretty straightforward route. I mean, they just set sail. These guys know what they're doing, and they head out when all of a sudden the not straightforward starts to hit. A storm comes in and starts to pick up on the Sea of Galilee, which in the text here is referred to as the lake because it's really a lake. It starts to pick up and churn up and starts to freak them out. Now, a storm on these waters wasn't unexpected. Violent storms happen in Galilee all of the time because of the geography of the land. Where they're situated is right now at about 600 feet below sea level with huge hillsides on one side of the lake and cliffs on the other. And so what would happen quite regularly where these winds would blow in from the inland, cut across the lake, they would bounce off the cliff wall and the wind would be blowing this way and coming back off the cliff walls. And you could see that if there was wind like this on the water, how it might start some waves and so things start to churn up and it starts to get into a stormy season. Now this shouldn't be a big issue. I mean we've got Jesus followers, half of them commercial fishermen, ready to hit this. I mean these guys aren't just amateurs. These, these are the pros. They have spent since childhood their time out in boats on the water. These aren't novice seafarers. They're like salty dogs, right? Just crusty from the wind and the waves. I'm sure even at a young age, like the weathered skin, the callous hands from, from hauling lines, from rowing. They would have had huge strong backs from having to haul in nets full of fish. There were no commercial winches. These guys are doing this all by hand. These are a bunch of tough sailor men and these guys know what they're doing and so when we read about their reaction we have to recognize something big's going on this is not just your average storm that's hit because we see that these guys panic to the point that they're saying we're gonna drown these guys aren't casual they're not easygoing i think if I put myself in their shoes, they probably are a little bit ego-driven in a storm. I mean, they're the pros. They're supposed to be getting their leader, this rabbi, from uphill country across the water, and they want to show off to him as they take him across their territory to accomplish his mission. But we come to this point in the middle of a storm where they are all hanging on as the waves lap over the gunnels going, we can't bail any faster. What are we going to do? And so something crazy happens. These guys look to this teacher from the hill country and say, please help us. 
Why would they have said, please help us? Well, I would imagine it's because they've just seen him perform these incredible miracles. Jesus has just come from teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's headed down into the city of Capernaum, and he started to heal people. He's healed one of his disciple Peter's um, mother-in-laws. We've seen that he's healed a centurion servant. We've seen that he has cured somebody of leprosy. And it tells us that he's actually healed many, many more. And so clearly they've seen something in him. He must have some kind of power. And so they say, Jesus, we're drowning. Get us out of here. Lord, save us, is what they say. Now Jesus wakes up and he's clearly unimpressed. I mean, he is absolutely unimpressed. I mean, we'd all be unimpressed if someone woke us up from our nap as we were setting sail across the Mediterranean. I think we'd all like that experience. But what, what, what irks Jesus isn't the fact that he's been stirred from a nap as he cruised across the sea. What annoys Jesus is their attitude towards the situation and their view of him. So as Jesus gets woken up, we see that he turns to his disciples and he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he gets up and he rebukes the storm. He says, no way, this is to be done. And the winds and the waves go completely calm. Jesus' response to the disciples' plea is to shut up the disciples, to shut down their fears by shutting out a storm. Jesus comes and he does this incredible miracle. And we can't make any mistake. This is a miracle. This isn't just a wind that slowly died down in a situation that was unremarkable. No, this was a storm like these commercial fishermen had never seen. And it goes from massive typhoon conditions down to nothing. A storm typically on the Sea of Galilee will last several hours and then it will slowly fade out as the desert winds finish blowing across the lake and things settle. But here instead, as Jesus speaks, everything just stops. It's perfectly quiet. It's perfectly still. Jesus has just performed the first miracle that we read about over the natural world and the people stand amazed and i'm sure what they would have thought in this moment is as good jewish boys who have studied the bible and their scriptures they would have thought back to a a great and famous psalm which is psalm 135 and it reads this i know that the lord is great that our lord is greater than all gods the lord does whatever he whatever pleases him in heaven and on earth in the seas and all their depths He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth and he sends lightning with rains and brings out the wind from his storehouses. God has this incredible power that only he possesses over even the most natural seeming of forces. Who can stand against this God? This is a very powerful display to these men, not just because he's able to save them from an uncertain situation, but in first century Israel, the sea had a meaning. People would look out at the water as a place of the unknown and the dangerous. It was often viewed uh, that the sea was a place of evil and of death. 
If you read uh, ancient, you know, first century documents, you'll often see these allegories, these pictures of how the ocean stands for the worst of all situations. And so for someone to stand up in this culture and perform a miracle like this would be more than just, wow, the wind stopped. It would be, who is this guy who's more powerful than evil and death? Who is this man who could stand over the most grueling of circumstances, the greatest of unknowns? Who is this guy that the winds would obey him? And we see that's the disciples' response. Who is this man that the wind would obey him? This is an incredible picture for us to take of Jesus when we face storms to, to, to know that he has this form of control should bring us a great sense of peace. It's miraculous. It's beautiful. It should lead us to something different. And that's where Jesus goes. And I think we have to very carefully consider the words that he says to his disciples as he accomplishes the miraculous. We see when, when Jesus wakes up, before he deals with the storm, he turns to these followers and he says, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. In this moment, Jesus doesn't doubt that his disciples have a level of faith in him. He doesn't uh, question the, the quantity of how far they'll go to follow him. What he's questioning is the quality of their faith in a moment where a storm hits their lives. Jesus challenges this impoverished sense of trust in him. He says, you guys, you're looking at a storm instead of at me. You're believing in the power of what's happening on the water without believing in the power of the one who's in the boat. And that's when he gets up and he stops the storm. He displays his power. He teaches them. He wants them to understand that he truly is the one with the power and the authority and the sovereignty over everything in the world. He wants them to understand this, and so he displays it. Now, many of us will probably never go into a situation where we'll get stuck out on the water in a boat holding on to the gunnels as Jesus sleeps in the front. It's just not going to happen because next time Jesus comes back, there ain't going to be no more storms. But instead, what we have is a life lived full of storms and full of the possibility of the presence of Jesus in our life in the midst of those storms. I don't know what storm you're facing right now. It could be a lot. I, I know many of the stories in the church of things people are facing, loved ones who are dying, friends and family members with chronic illness, people who are, are facing financial or job security issues. I know that there's people in here with strained relationships and with challenges uh, amongst not just the extended family, but sometimes with a spouse or with a child. And you're, you're, you're looking at it going, how am I going to face this? This thing is going to drown me. 
And that's a very real fear that we all face. It's a very real expression of living out life with other people and in all the uncertainty of a broken world. But the question is, what are we going to do with our faith in the midst of those circumstances? How are we going to deal with these things? If you're in the middle of a storm today, I want to encourage you to look to this story for the power that you need to find right now. The storm that you're facing is probably like what the disciples faced, where they just felt like this was bigger than Jesus. This is bigger than anything else I could face. It's bigger than any circumstance, because what happens is when we face adversity, we generally turn inwards, and we focus on what's going around. But this verse encourages us to look out to look at a bigger picture, to look at something greater, and we should be encouraged. If we worship the God who has the power to cross a Middle Eastern, uh, power to stop a Middle Eastern storm for a bunch of seasoned fishermen, he has the power to deal with what's going on in our lives right now. Furthermore, what we're going to see as we study the whole of the book of Matthew, and remember, when we study the Bible, we don't just take one section and look at a few verses. Yeah, we're looking at four verses today, but Matthew wanted this read in context of everything he wrote. He's painting this picture that should lead us towards the cross one day, and so when we read this, we see the God who has the power over the natural, the storm, is also the God who has power over the spiritual, and he goes to the cross and he dies, but then he rises again. And so if that God who is with his followers in the midst of something that happens around them in the natural world has the power to be with them through all spiritual things. What could he not do? We worship and follow a God who has defeated sin and death and nature. What else could stand in our way? The good news of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and the life that he lived and the message of hope that he brought wasn't just so that one day we could spend an eternity with him after we're done with our earthly bodies. The message and power that is in the person of Jesus is for each and every day and every circumstance. The God who is alive from the grave is the God who is alive in your life and one wants to carry you through the storms. There's another lie that a lot of us have come to believe that I think this passage addresses, and it's the lie that we will never get more than we can handle. It makes me want to throw up when someone says, oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's nowhere in Scripture. These disciples show it. These guys are seasoned pros and they end up in a circumstance while they're in the presence of Jesus with more than they can handle. What the truth of the Bible is that God will never give you more than he can handle. God allowed the storm to pick up on the sea to display that he is able to overcome any dark and stormy circumstance. The lie that you might have embraced in this season of your storm is either this is too much, so God is not with me, or this is too much, God can't do it. Both are lies, both are wrong, 
You need to look to the text. You need to rise above your self-focus and your self-interest to see the truth of the God we serve. He's the one who has the power over the heavens and the earth. He's the one who can rise above any storm. This is so important for us to grab. Now, Maybe you're in the midst of this storm and you're saying, I'm really trying to focus on Jesus, but I just can't see where he is. I I come to this all the time. And the thing that I have learned from people far wiser than I is when we face a circumstance where we can't see Jesus, something that might help us is to look for Jesus somewhere else. This has been something that has been really powerful for me because I am, I'm the kind of guy, and I think I, I might have been much like these disciples of Jesus. When a storm hits, I put down my head and I will just do everything I can to try to power through. And as I do that, my view of the world and everything around me shrinks down to just what's right in front of me. Maybe you're like this. But I found that when I'm looking down, I can never find Jesus. Even when I'm looking up, I just seem like I'm just in the fog, in the clouds that these disciples were likely in, and I, I can't see forward. But if I look off to the side, if I look out to somewhere else, outside of myself and my situation, I can often see the beauty and power of who God is and what he's doing. I encourage you that when you get focused in on yourself to look at the life of a a family member or a friend. Look beyond that even to where God is at work in the world and seek an answer in that. Because when we can spot what God is doing somewhere else, it helps us that as we turn back to our situation to keep him in view. This has been huge for me over the last 20 months. I know COVID's been brutal for, for everyone, and, and as, as a pastor and a leader, it, it's, it's been a challenge a lot to try to figure out, like, how, how are we going to go forward? How are we going to move through these different circumstances, dealing with the pandemic and the division and, and, and lack of unity that comes from all these viewpoints and all these circumstances? And I'm not going to lie, there's probably been a lot of times where if I turned to Jesus in the moment with my viewpoint, Jesus would say, oh, Kyle. You have such little faith. I'm sure it's come time and time again to the heart and mind of Jesus, but what I have found is that when I can stop, when I can look somewhere else, I can suddenly see him. And one of the things that I've actually done is is taken to to this, this, gravitated to studying scripture and studying history during this time. I look for where the promises of God has been fulfilled because it's hard to see what's going on around, especially as everyone, it seems, I talk to is going through the storm and unable to see Jesus. Just a couple weeks ago at the the back of the room here, I was chatting with a friend and we were talking about what has given us hope, what has kept us going over this last season. And I said, the promise of God that's found in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus talks to Peter. He says, Peter, you're going to be the rock on which I build the church. And then he says this. He says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I went, okay, where have I seen that? 
Where have I seen that? Well, I can go right back to the beginning, right after Jesus has come and gone. Everyone, every single person assumed that the Roman Empire would defeat the church. They said, these guys are going to just stomp out all of these random scatterings of churches and everyone will worship Caesar as Lord, not Jesus as Lord. But somehow through the blood and the trials and the violence that took place in the early church, the church continued to build and build to what it is today. You look through different wars and famines, different pandemics and depressions that have happened throughout history, and we see that time and time again, the church has stood still. The reason the church is able to stand every storm that it has weathered is because Jesus is with the church. This has been such an encouragement. And I will tell you, every time I've looked back and been like, wow, what was going on with those people in first century Israel as they tried to bring this message? As I've looked back at what's happened in places like communist China or down in Latin America where the church has basically been squashed by every measurable measure by the government and the leaders and famines and depression and war and strife and evil. And even those places we've seen the church grow and thrive and rise again. And as I do that, I look to the circumstances that we face in the storms of our society, our culture, and I'm able to say, surely then, because of the promises of God, the church will stand. This is a message not just for a building and for a place, but we must remember that we too are the church. The church, people don't come to the church, the church comes to the building. God is with you in every circumstance. He has the power and the authority to control every storm that might hit your life. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, my encouragement would be for you to lean into him. I have no clue how you do it. <laughs> I, I could not get through life on a day-to-day -day basis, let alone when the hard stuff in, in family, in finance, in work, I, I, I couldn't do it without Jesus. Because I know that everyone else and everything else has failed me. My family is amazing. My friends are amazing. But the truth is they are not strong enough to weather every single storm. And even if they were, it wouldn't be fair for me to take all my storms and place it onto them. I need something that can get me through in every circumstance. And the only thing that I have found that has proven itself time and time again to be able to accomplish everything in every difficult situation is the person of Jesus and my relationship with him. If you're going through a storm right now and you do not know him, look to Jesus. He's the only one who can pave the way. He has the power to be, defeat sin and death. He went to the cross to die out of his love for you. He rose again so that you could have life to the full in every circumstance. So if you're going through a storm, look to Jesus. 
and what only he can provide. What about when we're not in a storm? I think sometimes texts like this can just get kind of lost to the wayside because let's be honest, most of us as we go through our lives focus on Jesus and what the Bible has to say when we're going through difficult times. And we're much less likely to do it when times are good and times are easy. Well, this passage actually, I think, is one of the most powerful things we can consider. Our lives as as followers of Jesus aren't just meant to be focused on him in the midst of the storm. Jesus actually calls his followers to live a life wholeheartedly focused on him in every circumstance, which means the good times as well. And we all know that, that storms will come and go and we'll have seasons that are great and we'll have new seasons that move in. The question is, how will we bring all those things into conformity with him? And the thing that I've thought as I've, I've, I've considered that is that maybe we need to use the good times as an opportunity to evaluate the bad. Maybe we need to take the time to consider after we've come through a difficult season in life, did I trust Jesus in that season? And then ask ourselves the questions, why or why not? And then take it a little bit further and say, okay, so what can I do to prepare myself for the next season? What stood in my way? How can I carve that out of my life? What helped me during this season be able to see how God works so that that could bring me security and stability in the storm? How do I build more of that into my life so that when we hit life storms, we aren't suddenly running around going, Jesus, 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 where are you? Can you help me? But Jesus, thank you that you are here and near and that I can rely on you in the midst of this circumstance. What if we spent all the good times drawing closer to Jesus rather than just going about life with no purpose? As we come out of the storms, let us take time to evaluate what needs to change in our discipleship and then let us also stand and be amazed. In verse 27, it says, The men were amazed at what Jesus had done, and they asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. You know, a lot of people read Scripture, and they, they come to passages like this, and, and, they, and, and we almost mock the disciples. Like, oh, come on, guys. Like, you just saw Jesus heal a whole bunch of people back in town. You've heard the wonderful teaching that already stood and amazed you. How come you couldn't have trusted him here? And we belittle them. These guys, they shouldn't have been amazed. They should have already known. But you know what? I actually admire the disciples because of this. Because what happened is they saw the something about Jesus, and then they stopped and talked about it. And they grew in amazement of him. It's amazing that each of these men, at this point, as they face their boat, potentially being shipwrecked, went, Jesus, save us, where are you? Why are you sleeping? They went from that to every single one of them either being imprisoned or executed for their faith later on. They stopped and stood amazed and considered who God was time and time again, and they allowed that to transform their lives. So they went from this place of being people who did not trust him, who had no security in where their life was going, to being people who were bold and courageous and could live their lives even unto death for the glorification of who God is. Do we do that? Do we stop and stand amazed 
when looking at Jesus and what he's done, and then do we celebrate him and seek knowing him more and more? In John 16, 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There's a guarantee that comes in Scripture. If anyone ever tells you being a follower of Jesus is going to mean that you're going to live a life of wealth and prosperity and ease, tell them to stuff it. They're wrong. They're lying. Because Jesus himself said, you will have trouble. The good news of the gospel isn't that we won't have trouble, that we won't face sickness, that there won't be financial trying times, that we won't, uh, we won't always have prosperity. Sometimes things aren't going to go our way. Sometimes we're going to be persecuted. In fact, Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted just like I am. Jesus tells us all this not to beat us up, but so that he can say, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The promise of this life is that we will have trouble. Sin has broken this world. It is a wreck. But the good news is that our God has come. He controls the wind and the rain. He controls the spiritual universe. He has the power to bring life and flourishing to every season that you will experience. So stand in amazement. We worship a good and loving God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us incredibly. Jesus, that you were willing to go to the cross for us. Lord, that you would be our substitute in death so that when you raise back to life, if we put our faith and trust in you, that we could find life in you. Jesus, we thank you that that life isn't just one day for, for heaven or a new earth, but God, that that is a life for every circumstance. God, I know that there's people who have come to this place, and God, so many broken stories, so many hurt feelings, so many people just feeling beat up and down and despaired, but God, I just pray that through this message, through who you are, through our understanding of how you have provided in the past, that we would have focus focus and hope for the present and for the future. Lord God, now even as, as, as we sing these songs in a few minutes, God, I just pray that we would be able to embrace who you are and what you've accomplished. God, help us to be amazed and to stand with great faith, faith in every circumstance. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.